Welcome back to the Full Chat Podcast. And today I have a great, a wonderful, and enlightening conversation with Jessica Van Lu. I learned so much about the Gabra people, Kenya, and that whole trip that she had. And I think you guys are going to learn a whole lot about it as well. And as always, you can follow the Full Chat Podcast at Full Chat Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow me, your host, Eric Roberts, at the underscore Eric Roberts on Instagram and Twitter. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy the podcast because this one was a good one. So let's get into it. So today I have Jessica Van Lu on the podcast. Super excited. We are going to talk about her trip to Kenya. And she was a recent graduate of Indiana State University. She graduated with an interior design. Is that what you said? Yeah, interior architecture, yep. That's right. And then you had a minor in Spanish, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So tell me, like, what what made you want to go over to Kenya? Yeah, um, it was actually a very long process, decision process. But I knew kind of my freshman year of college, I've always been interested in the world and other places and wanting to go somewhere and um so I was just really thinking about where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do after graduation and this whole college thing and um so my junior year I started looking into just different organizations different missions organizations and um just opportunities that were available and I found this organization called Africa Inland Mission and I just like applied on their website or filled out like a inquiry form and just sent them like my contact information and someone reached back to me in like an hour. That, that, (laughs) okay. Yeah. That's almost scary fast. Yeah. It was a little intimidating. So Um, is, is, is the organization like, cause you're, you're in Indiana, right? Yes. Or you're at least in Indiana when you applied to this. Uh-huh. Do they? Is it like a big organization, like small, medium, or are they out of Indiana or what? Um, it's actually really large. So they have, um, I think their headquarters is in Georgia, um, but they have different groups all over the world um, and in different locations. So I filled out, like I said, that I was from Indiana. So they have a Midwest coordinator I guess his name is Josh so he emailed me right away and was like hey I'd love to chat and I was like I okay I don't know who you are (laughs) but sure um so they have people set up in a bunch of different locations in America they have a big um impact in Brazil there's a lot of people from Brazil who are a part of it Canada the UK like Brazil South America yeah okay because if you're like I'm from Terre Haute and so anyone from Terre Haute they'll say oh I'm from Brazil and it's like the widest person you know and it's uh-huh. like oh no I'm from Brazil Indiana like the next county yeah over. no the country Brazil yep 
Yeah. Yeah. So had had you had you done any mission trips before this? Um, I had not. I had been um out of the country a couple times before this, but this was my first mission trip. Um, so it was a little different perspective behind why I was going um, gotcha. overseas. What where where were some of the places that you had been to out of the country? Um, after I graduated high school, I went to Guatemala, um, for three weeks. I was like an exchange student there. So I lived with the host family, got in my, my Spanish there. Um, I I thought about like trying to do something like that, but like, Mm -hmm. I know, I didn't, I didn't know where to go. Like, how did you know where to go for that? Did you have like people helping you or did, did you just look online? My, um, high school Spanish class we had like a partner school in Guatemala so they sent exchange students to my high school and then they sent some of us to Guatemala so it was like a back and forth thing so my school just had a connection and it was really easy for me to sign up and go yeah so so like I went to Terre Haute North and Mm -hmm. we like I don't know I don't know if we had that connection or what but I mean I remember we had a couple people from Germany and Italy come over, but I I felt like that was a a one off thing. Yeah, so, it was weird. more random. Gotcha. But yeah, you just gotta find the connections where you can. Gotcha. So back to the the Kenya trip. Like mm-hmm. how like how how many months did you take to prepare for this? Like before you stepped into the airport, like how long was that? Um. Oh, goodness. I filled out, like, my little inquiry thing on their website in February my junior year. So it was about And that was 2018, right? That was 2018, yeah. So it was um, about a year and a couple months. So I filled out, like, this inquiry and started talking to um, Josh, my coordinator for, like, the Midwest region. And he was like okay, well, you're too ahead of the game. We don't even have details set up for the program you want to do for the next summer. So you need to chill out for a little while. So did they, have they, had they not done that for like that location before? um, No, they had. Um, They have the program that I went on. It's called the GO program. So it's specifically for kind of college age, young adult um, people. And it's always over the summer but they just didn't have any of the details set up for um, like 2019, the time that I was like Uh, trying to apply and ask them for it. They were like, we don't have this figured out yet. Hold on. (laughs) Okay. That makes sense. So what, what made you want to go to Kenya? Was that like your first choice or did you have a couple choices or did the organization that you get into contact was like that place, their specialty or did they do, um, like places all over? Um, it was really just the organization. Cause I had looked at a few other missions organizations, um, and filled out some of like the forms with them to, um, answer some of my questions, but this organization just really stuck out to me. And as I started learning more about them and talking to some of the people who work there, Um, they pointed me towards the program that I went on and it just happened to be in Kenya. Um, and so it just really stuck out to me and I'd always kind of had an interest to go to Africa. 
because um, it just seemed like such a different world um, that I wanted <laughs> to be able to experience. So oh, for sure. Yeah. So I was like, when I found out that it would be in Kenya, I got really excited and felt like it was the right choice and the right place to go. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize, and I, I didn't even realize until I started doing my own research that Kenya is like, it's one of the better places to go in Africa. Like it's fairly nice. A lot of people like to go and visit there. Yeah. I mean, they have, it's great for tourist stuff too, because they have great um, like national parks and um, just a lot of really cool things to do. Nairobi is a huge city and it, honestly, it's a lot like America. It's very westernized in its own way. Um, and there's just a lot that you can explore there. Yeah, and Nairobi's the capital, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so you prefer you prefer you prepared for what, like nine months or so, ten, maybe a year? Is that um, right? Yeah, I think kind of more emotionally <laughs> um, preparing was closer to a year, but I had just a few months to like practically prepare, and when they started giving like my schedule and. Um, I had to raise support, financial support for it um, since it was a missions trip. Um, I was able to do that. So that sort of preparing was only a few months um, before I actually took off. Do you mind, like, how much did you have to raise to go on the trip? Yeah, um, I had to raise $5,000. So that covered, wow. like, plane tickets, my, like, living expenses while I was there, transportation when I was there, food, um, everything. So, um, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It seems wow. like a lot of money, especially for a college student. Yeah. Um, what did you, what did your parents think about the, uh, like you, about you going over there? <laughs> um, when I first told them, they definitely thought I was joking. <laughs> uh, don't were, worry. I've, I've had that stuff like that happen to me. Yeah. They were like, yeah, there's no way you're going. Um, <laughs> and especially cause it was the summer after I graduated. So they were like, this isn't practical. You need, like you're graduating, you need to apply for jobs and get a job and figure that stuff out there. Like if you wait a couple months, like you're going to miss out on opportunities cause everyone else is applying for jobs. So they were like, yeah, no, this isn't going to happen. Um, my mom was like, you can always do that later. Why do you have to do it now? And I'm like, if I get a job, they're not going to let me take two months off to leave the country. <laughs> I was like, this is the, like the last time I'm going to have this opportunity. So it took some persuasion and they obviously just had concerns because I'm their daughter. They want me to be safe and going sure. to a different country can be a scary thing and they can't control what's happening over there. So um, they came around once they realized that I was serious about it and the reason why I wanted to go and um, kind of my heart behind wanting to go on the missions trip over there. But they came around and they were really supportive about it. But it took a while for them to get there. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, so with me, so we we graduated in the same class, right? We both yeah. graduated in 2019 mm -hmm. in May. And... So I had a couple internships and stuff like that. And I, I applied to jobs for like three months and got like nothing. And it was so, and I, I felt like I should have done something like, something like you did where I went and spent that time on a mission somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, I know 
um, at ISU, at CSF specifically, they went to Haiti, and yeah. I could have went on that trip to Haiti, but I thought I would have had a job by the time I graduated or soon after, mm-hmm. and that just wasn't the case. And so, for and you, how long did you go for? Um, I was there for two months. Wow, that <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> That's a that, that's a longer than like because the the normal mission trip is usually like a week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a short short term missions is usually a week, maybe two. And I I may have asked, but ha- you have you done like a short term mission like that? No, I hadn't. So this is my first time. Oh, so this is like your very very first mission trip. Yep, first and, one and two months long. <laughs> and it's like halfway around the world. Yep, different country, and I didn't know any of the people on my team. I had no idea who I was going with. Wow. So. Yeah. So before, so before you get on the plane, like, what what were some of the things that you brought with you, or what were some of the suggested things to pack in your bags, and like, how many bags did you pack? Like, were they big bags, and like, do you have like any like special items or like tricks or something that? you could tell the people to bring on the plane or whatever um so i was allowed a care like a carry-on and a checked bag um and packing was the most stressful thing for this trip because i had no idea what to bring um and most people when you think of africa you're like oh it's going to be really hot there i can just bring shorts and t-shirts and i'll be fine but (laughs) But nope, it is a lot different than what you would expect. Yeah, um, they, have, they have such highs and lows in weather. Like if you're if you're in yeah. the desert, if you're in the desert out there, it's gonna get below freezing out there. Yeah. Um. So I had a pack for multiple locations and climates. So my suggestion is just pack for like layers, like pack, like t-shirts, and then. I love flannels, so I brought some flannels, <laughs> and then, like, I only brought one sweatshirt, which I probably should have brought two, um, but yeah, you just got to pack in layers, especially there, because it could be really cold in the morning, but then the middle of the day, when the sun's up high, you can get sunburnt, and it is hot, but then it gets cold again before you know it, so you want to just have every option available. That's insane. <laughs> So what, where did you fly out of and where did you fly into? I flew, um, so I flew from Indy to Dallas and I met two of my <laughs> teammates in Dallas. Hey, that's cool. Cause I live in Dallas. So shout yeah. out Dallas. Woo. And that airport is amazing. Okay. I, I have yet to, to like go to it. Are you talking about Dallas, Fort Worth or Dallas love? Um, Fort Worth. Yeah. So I live uh, actually like. 10, 15 minutes away from the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. Uh-huh. And I've only picked people up, but actually I'll be coming back to Indiana um, late this December, so I'll be flying in and, out of the, in and out of there. Oh, yeah. Well, just I suggest get there early. I had like a five-hour layover, Jeez. and I just walked around. It was it, I was fine with that. I walked around to every, um, what's it called, every terminal, yeah. and I took the little like Sky Tram thing that they had, 
and I just kid, did like a critique and I graded like each terminal and which one I thought was better, just something to pass the time. But yeah, it was well, a cool airport. <laughs> well, because you you like your interior architecture design, right? Yeah. yeah. So you you're just you. I'm at. Do you do you just go in every building and you just could like critique it all the time? Um. Usually, yes. I immediately think like, what does this look like? What is this layout like? I always look at like the ceiling, which people never look at the ceiling when they walk in a building, but that's like the first thing that I look at. Uh, and so my family will get annoyed with me sometimes because I'll be like, oh, they shouldn't have done that. They should have done this instead. And they're like, Jessica, we're eating dinner. Chill out. It's fine. Yeah, that's kind of how it is with like me and packaging. So mm -hmm. for you, for you, it's like buildings and airports and like these amazing structures and like these amazing structures <laughs> and for me i like i kid you not that like like you could name off any of your favorite stores and it's probably like i don't know name off a few stores that you like to go to um like just any stores. stores yeah shopping stores um well i mean walmart obviously oh uh, okay i hate uh, that she's <laughs> Because that's, I knew that's you weren't really, gonna like that. No, no, that's my favorite place to go because like really? I love, yeah, I love going to look at the packaging oh because they have everything from basically A to Z. They're the Amazon before Amazon was a thing, and so yeah. like I had a teacher in high school say, "If Walmart doesn't sell it, you don't need it," <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, like, "Okay, cool," and like me being like me going to school for packaging engineering. Like, mm -hmm. I'll literally, I won't buy anything. I'll, uh, sometimes I'll just go walk in like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. And then I'll think about how to design it, like, in CAD or whatever. Uh-huh. Oh, CAD. Yeah. How to, how to do it better, a different way to do it. Oh, That is sure. funny. For sure. So, yeah, you, you meet your team in Dallas, though, right? Tell me uh -huh. what that's like. Um. So, well, I only met two of my team members in Dallas because um, they were both from Texas. Um, so my program was set up a little interesting. So we had a team, there was 10 of us, um, and we did training for about a week and a half together and then we split up. And so it was just me and my partner, Rachel, um, that we went off to a different location. So I met her and then another girl on our team in Dallas. And so I had talked to Rachel, my partner, a few times on like Instagram and it was mainly like, are you bringing this? What are you packing? Have you finished doing this part? Like turned in this paperwork yet? So we had kind of talked to each other on Instagram, but that was it. And then we get to the airport and I just see them standing like in line to get on the plane. And I'm like, hi, I'm Jessica. I'm going to be spending <laughs> two months with you. <laughs> so did you, did you do training in Dallas? Like, did you stay here in Dallas or where did you do training? We did our training in Kenya. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes so sense. I just met with them at the airport and then we flew um we flew from Dallas to Qatar. And so that was like a fourteen and a half hour flight. Oh, like Qatar, like in the Middle East, like uh -huh. uh, by Saudi Arabia? Yeah. Okay. How was that airport? That so we didn't really get to see much of it because we had an hour layover from Qatar to Kenya. So we landed, had to get off the plane. They had someone waiting for us and she like guided us to our next gate, but she ran through the airport. 
And so from what I saw of it, it was really cool. And everyone told me that the Qatar airport is awesome, like Qatar Airways and all of this stuff. They're like, the airport's so cool. But I only got to glimpse different parts of it. I was, I was running through the airport trying to follow this lady so I wouldn't miss my next flight. So I didn't get to experience it. I was kind of bummed about it, but... Did did you have a window seat? Did you have a window seat flying in and out? Because I imagine the sky the skyline there is even amazing. Um, I did not. I was in the aisle. So the three of us, the two girls that I met, we were all in the same row. Um, but on long flights like that, they tell you that you have to leave your window shade down because they like turn the lights off and just let everybody sleep. So they tell you you're not allowed to open your window or whatever. Um, uh, this is a little off topic, but have you seen the Singapore airport? Oh, no. So, oh, that's cool. So, um, can you see the image that I yeah. shared? Okay, so <laughs> the, Singapore, the Singapore airport has been voted one of the best airports in the entire world. Like, the, these images that we're seeing right here, uh-huh. it's like... Um, it's a, it's a waterfall that, yeah. that flows down and there's like plants everywhere and there's people walking around and then there's a there's a tram that goes like through the airport that goes by this uh this water waterfall and this uh this airport actually has like massage like places that you can go to it has like little ho- like a hotel that you could stay at and stuff like that and Whoa. it is absolutely gorgeous. That is incredible. I think I'm gonna have to go to Singapore now. I I don't need like I I bet Singapore is beautiful. Singapore like the even the the buildings they're beautiful uh-huh. looking, but looking at like I I wish I had a just a layover there even. Wow, that is amazing. It doesn't even look like an airport. <laughs> no. Wow. It literally looks like a jungle. Um, but like Singapore in general, a lot of the buildings there are, they at least try to be very like eco-friendly, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at some of the, the, the buildings that they have there, there is like plants growing out of the side of the buildings and stuff. So like when I went to Australia, when I went to Sydney, Australia, mm-hmm. I walked by this building and there's this like huge like skyscraper and you like, it's mostly all glass but you can hardly tell because everything's green because there's plants growing everywhere and growing off the side of the building and stuff like that wow that's Uh, awesome yeah so i thought i would share this with you because uh yeah i I thought you would think it was super amazing but uh yeah and the new airports that they're coming out with like there's a lot of them are in asia and the middle east and Mm -hmm. a lot of these emerging countries that are becoming more global and becoming a powerhouses are like just they're amazing they're, uh, they're oh, that's yeah. they're they make me speechless but so. <laughs> they are they're so cool so yeah wow. so you, you're you're in qatar so how long was the flight from all right the flight from indy to dallas is like two hours right yeah yeah not bad and dallas to qatar how far how long is that um, it was like 14 and a half, 15. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. My flight, Long flight. <laughs> my flight to Australia was 15 hours, and I flew it at night. 
and we were essentially more or less chasing the darkness. So I was in 15 hours of darkness and did not see anything out the windows, didn't see the coast until, well, I didn't see the coast. I didn't see light until I got to the coast. And it's like, it's so eerie because you're flying over the world's largest ocean. There's nowhere to stop. It's just uh-huh. like, if something happens, you're good. You're gone. But yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's 15 hours. You, Go ahead. Where did you fly out of? So I flew out of uh, O'Hare in Chicago and I went from I was supposed to go to Los Angeles but I ended up flying into San Francisco and then San Francisco to Sydney okay yeah so you're in Qatar Mm -hmm. and how long is the flight from Qatar to uh is it was it your next stop Nairobi yes yeah so we flew into Nairobi um airport and that was only about five and a half hours so that's not bad. That's that's about yeah. as long as it takes to get from New York to LA. Yeah, it's not bad. Which most people would consider, you know, five and a half hours a really long flight. But after fifteen hours of being on a plane, <laughs> five and a half flew by so fast. Yeah, like yeah, I I know how that is. Like, but like mine was, I guess, on the way back from Australia, that was the way for me because it's it's like five hours from. Chicago, yeah, it's about five hours from Chicago to L.A., or San Francisco, rather. Uh-huh. And so I don't even remember the flight back because I, I fell asleep and then woke up and then I was in San Francisco and then everything was crazy. That's a story for another, another day. But uh-huh. Got back to I'm Chicago. Sure. But yeah. All right, so you touched down in Nairobi. Yes. What? Like, what are your first thoughts after, like, traveling for 20, more than 20 hours? It was, like, 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, it was almost a whole day or over 24 hours. But I, we got off the plane and we were, like, oh, my gosh, we just, like, want to go to bed. Like, even though we had slept (laughs) on the plane, we were exhausted. And we were, like, it was kind of overwhelming because at that point, I think it hit me like, this is real. I am going to be here for the next two months. Like, there's no going back at this point. <laughs> like, I've reached That's like, crazy. the end point. I can't turn back. Um, wow. But, I mean, we were kind of like, all right, we got to go. We have a car, like, coming to pick us up. Like, we need to get our luggage and leave. Um, and just trying to navigate through customs in a new country um, I had no idea what that was going to be like or if they were really strict over there or if um, it would just be a super easy process. And I was like, I'm here for two months. So I had to get like a visa. And I was like, I've never done this before. I was like, hopefully it all works out. Um, you know, so, what, yeah. What kind of visa did you have to get? Was it just like a tourist visa or? like? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I just got a tourist, um, tourist visa. Um that's usually the way that they have you do it for like a missions trip. Cause if you put like that, you're there for work or something, then they ask you questions about it. Or if you put that you're a student, they're going to want to know like what school you're going to or what classes you're taking and stuff. So we just put tourists and I just said that I was visiting, visiting gotcha. people, which was true, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just visiting some friends I never met before. <laughs> Just, you know, I've only talked to them on Skype, like, two or three times, but yeah, I'm coming to visit them. Gotcha. 
Um, so since, since we love talking about airports, how's the airport like there in, uh, uh, Nairobi? Um, it was very small compared to like what I was expecting. And it wasn't as like big and glamorous as the Dallas one and the Qatar one. It was just, um, when we landed, we had to walk. Like, we landed and we walked out, like, on the tarmac. Like, we walked down, like, the little, like, roll-up stairs, whatever. Hey, those, don't those stairs make you feel presidential? <laughs> they really do. I was like, wow, only celebrities get to do this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's weird because it's just not common in the States um, yeah. to do that. But, like, whenever I went over to Ireland... Um, I don't think Australia was like this, but whenever I went to Ireland, I had a, a layover in Iceland, and uh-huh. then I got to Ireland as well, and both <laughs> the places overseas like that, they like they had those things that connect, the like little tunnel things that connect yeah. to the plane, but I don't know if they used them or if they're broken down or what, but like mm-hmm. they always just rolled up the, the stairs to the plane, and then you yeah. get off like oh, it's freezing. I'm in Iceland. This is very cold. Yeah, you're like, oh, man. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Um, so, yeah. you're getting out of the airport and where, like, is there someone meeting you at the airport and, like, where are you supposed to go and, like, what's the plan for, like, week one? Mm-hmm. Um, so, we, my whole team, um, we're staying at a guest house um, in Nairobi, um, so it's through, um, Africa Inland Mission, the organization I went with, they have, um, kind of like a little, um, set in Nairobi that they host, like all the missionaries that come in and they let people stay, um, for a couple days or a week. So we had, um, one of the workers from the guest house come and pick us up at the airport and then drive us back, um, And it was kind of like a hotel um, in a way. It was a lot smaller and they had like two buildings and um, probably only like 20, 30 rooms total. Um, But yeah, so we had a driver come pick us up. We had no idea who he was or what he looked like or if he would have a sign for us. And they told us um, like before we left, like now when you get out um, of the airport and you go to like the pickup zone they're like there's going to be a um probably like a group of other like taxi drivers and drivers standing there and they're going to see you three white girls walk off the plane and they're going to (laughs) want to like take you wherever you want to go and because they want us to pay them for a ride and they're like you just have to be real strict and say like no we have a driver coming for us like thank you but like we don't need a ride leave us alone (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I was kind of like, what if we get in the wrong van? Like, what <laughs> oh, if somehow they, they trick us and we get in the wrong car? Oh, like, I have no so idea where I'm going. But it all worked out. And the, the guy had, a like, a sign and he knew all of our names and knew where we were going. And we're like, oh. okay, you're the right guy, I hope. So... Oh my gosh! That a lot is... of a lot of trust. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a lot of blind trust. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it it kind of reminds me of like, I don't know if you've ever heard the the quote from Mike Tyson, but it says everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. 
and it's like you're in the airport getting punched in the face and like, you have no you like you forget your plan because you have all these people trying to get you to go everywhere and it's uh-huh. like you're trying to find the right way to go and then you end up finding the right way to go so that, yeah. that, that's yeah. good we okay. also didn't have our luggage because we had only had an hour layover between Qatar and Kenya so our luggage didn't make it on our flight So then we were stressing out about that and we didn't know how to get our information to them and it was very chaotic and unorganized and we're like, I just want my bag so I can go take a shower and change because I've been in these clothes for like 24 hours (laughs) and I feel gross and I'm tired and I want to brush my teeth. (laughs) 100% I understand. I mean... Whenever, so it was real weird. Like when I went to Australia, mm-hmm. I went with three, me and two other guys, mm-hmm. and we're idiots. I'm not. We're idiots. <laughs> we just we're, we're. I don't know why we did, did it this way, but I bought my plane ticket before they bought theirs, and I flew out of Chicago, mm-hmm. and it was like one thousand one hundred dollars, and I was like, okay, that's the cheapest it's probably gonna get. Like it's not gonna go below that. Yeah. And so um, I kept looking online and like I had to, before we could even get our tickets, we, you had to get your like passport and visa or you couldn't even buy the ticket. Yeah. And so my, one of my buddies, well, the two other guys, they end up flying out of Indianapolis. And mm-hmm. usually if you fly out of Indianapolis, cause it's not that big of a like international airport, the yeah. only like nonstop flights are like to Paris and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But Chicago, it being like one of the largest airports in the United States, and there's a bunch of international airlines that fly there. And I was like, okay, I'll just fly out of there. So I flew out of there, and then, and then my buddy, I found a ticket for him for eight hundred and ninety dollars round trip wow. to Australia. Like that is unheard of. That is pretty crazy. Yeah, and he got to fly out of Indianapolis, which is only an hour away from Terre Haute, and I had to drive three hours to Chicago. Oh, man. Yeah, and then my other buddy he that also flew out of Indianapolis, he was on a different flight. So we all three took three different flights, <laughs> and um, me and uh, my friend Charles, we landed in Australia first. My phone was about to die. Oh, I no. didn't have like an international phone plan because I was just going to get a SIM card while I was there. Yeah. And I was banking on the internet, like the airport having Wi-Fi. And I was Mm -hmm. like, phone's about to die. I'm on Wi-Fi. I just landed. And I think my buddy just landed according to like our like itinerary. Yeah. And I call him. I'm like, I'm like, dude, where are you you here? He's like, yeah, I'm I'm here. Um, Where are you? And I was like, he's like, I don't know. I'm by this phone thing. And, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to come come and find you. And then it was so such a relief to see a familiar face after 20-plus yeah. hours of flying. Oh, I'm sure. Well, I know exactly how you feel whenever you found the right driver and the right people and you're uh-huh. all together. It's like it's reunited and it's so reassuring. <laughs> reunited and it feels so good. That's right. And you just want to, yeah, it is such a relief. And you're like, okay, it's going to work out now. <laughs> Oh, for sure. So yeah, so your first, so that was like your first day, and then the next day, because you you were in the northern part of Kenya, correct? Yes. 
But did you did you do some sightseeing around Nairobi? We did. So, um, yeah, that first week and a half that I was there, I was in Nairobi with my whole team. Um, That's where so you did, we the did training, right? Yeah, so we did training. It was kind of like a classroom setting. We learned a whole bunch of stuff um, about like culture and religion and language and everything. Um, but I did get to do some sightseeing. We went um, about an hour away from Nairobi and we went and climbed a volcano. Um, so that was a pretty cool adventure. None of us were prepared. We had no idea what we were doing, but our leader was like, oh yeah, we're going to go. Um, it's called Mount Longanot. And he was like, oh yeah, we're going to go um, here and we're just going to go on a little hike. It took us like six hours to climb this thing and back down and we were none of us were prepared for that (laughs) yeah Uh, didn't didn't you didn't you post pictures of of that hike on instagram yeah i did Mm -hmm. and your instagram is fire thank you big big (laughs) fan for those people listening plug your instagram so people can find you um wait hold on i actually don't know what it is i'm looking it up hold on um (laughs) isn't it just your name? It's just my name. It's Jessica underscore Van Lue. V-A-N-L-I-E-W. I'm so jealous that you can have, like, because, like, mine's the underscore Eric Roberts because everyone in the brother is named Eric Roberts. <laughs> and so when you have a unique name like that, like, where you can just have that handle yeah. and not worry about it, that's, like, awesome. Yeah. There is actually another Jessica Van Lou out there, not related to me, I don't think. And she found me on Instagram and like followed me and messaged me. Hey, we have the same name. That is amazing. And I was like, that's crazy. Who are you? But sure, we can be friends. Why not? (laughs) Who are you? I'm you. (laughs) (laughs) We're the same person. That's Uh, crazy. So, okay. Tell me uh, real quick where, like, what, like, how do how does your name come about because that's a very unique name like like what is what do you know the origins of it yeah so it's dutch um, okay so like the whole van something is usually like a dutch uh-huh. last name um i guess somewhere way down my family line it used to be a whole lot longer and more complicated um but Family rumor is that when, like, my family came over to America, they shortened it to Van Lue and just made it. <laughs> to them, they made it easier, but it's still pretty complicated. So, like, your name could be, like, a whole lot longer than it is right now? Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Have you done the, the like, Ancestry.com or the 23andMe where you, you, like, spit in the tube and then you, like, get the whole history thing? I have not, but I I really want to because I think that would be so cool. Okay, yeah, I recently did it. Here, I'll go ahead and read off to you like what they found about me. Uh huh. Yeah. Let's see if I can find it. I had the app, but I might have to refind it. But yeah, it was. It basically just told me, "Hey, Eric, you're very white, so <laughs> know you know your place." I was like, "Okay, thanks, <laughs> yeah, like everything." European and like north of that is probably what I am too. <laughs> yeah. So um, if I'm not mistaken, from what my mom told me, her like we're we're fairly recently like from England and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. the large majority of what I found was like uh, it's like England and Ireland. 
it was like 63% of my makeup or something like that. Uh-huh. And uh, I found some like Scandinavian in me. Yeah. As well. <laughs> and then I'm like, I think it said I'm like 0.06 or 0.04% like Asian or African or something like that. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> I know. I'm like, yeah, just put, put me there. No. Uh, yeah, and then I, let's see, it was, and then I found out I was like 10 or 15% Italian or something like that. Oh, fancy. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I didn't know I was Italian at all, but cool, thanks. Thanks for yeah. sharing. It is so cool how they can do that, though. How they yeah. can tell from, I mean, your DNA obviously has a lot of information in it, but just that they, yeah, can tell by spitting in a little cup where yeah. all your ancestors came from it's so cool so the podcast is not sponsored by 23andme but <laughs> I, I will i will say um i imagine around the holidays right now you can get like a like a it's like probably a lot cheaper uh-huh. um and so they like because i i bought mine like with a discount or whatever like that yeah and it mine came with like a health report and like my ancestry thing and and it was like 99 and it's usually like 199 or something like that so if you just do like the ancestry one it might be a lot cheaper but yeah okay i found i finally found my charts oh yeah let's hear it all right so i am 63.3 percent british and irish 16 percent french and german scandinavian 0.8 percent and then italian okay i was wrong 2.6 percent italian Okay. And then 0.4% Western Asian and North African. That's so interesting. So you have one ancestor way, way, way down the line who was from Asia or somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really cool. I'd recommend doing it. But um, yeah. No, I definitely will have to put that. Maybe I'll put that on my Christmas list. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> All right. So kind of getting back to Kenya. okay so did you there there is a park there's a national park Mm -hmm. right outside nobi night wow nairobi (laughs) um go and see like giraffes and lions and stuff like that i can't remember what the name of it is but did you get a good national park yeah, so it's just called Nairobi National Park. Of course um, it is. So really easy to remember. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Um, but, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, I got to go um, with my team. We took a safari. Um, and so, yeah, we just went. We all climbed into this, like, safari van that the roof just kind of, like, raised up so we could stand up and look out um at everything but we just yeah drove around in this huge wildlife preserve but at the same time it was so interesting because we would be looking and we'd be like oh look there's some giraffes and zebras but like off in the distance you could see the skyline of Nairobi like of the city yeah the national park is like I mean it's huge but it's surrounded by like the city and by other towns so you can go straight from the city into like the park real quick and it's such an interesting change of 
environment and you're like all of these wild animals that are very dangerous honestly are just right here in the middle of the city and it's kind of crazy but it was such a cool experience too so you you went through the national park and kenya they actually have the big five um animals that you can see in africa uh-huh. that being the lion the leopard rhinos elephants and the cape buffalo yes did you get to see all of those or what? i did not see all of them i saw um two lions we saw a bunch of the buffalo um elephants um we saw one rhino but he was kind of hiding um and then i didn't see any leopards so i don't know where they were at um so i only saw four of the five so were you in one of those like typical safari like vehicles that did they have like I don't want to say lack for lack of better words like cages and stuff like to kind of protect you if there was an animal around or what? Um no, so I was basically just in like a van, like a big passenger van and I just had like a bunch of windows on the side and then yeah, like I said the roof just kind of like raised up kind of like a little awning. And so we could just like stand up in our seats, but it wasn't like a, like a Range Rover or something with like, um, benches and a cage around it. So I thought that was interesting too. Cause I thought, oh, surely we'll have to be in one of those, but you can drive your own vehicle into the park if wow. you want to. That's cool. <laughs> did you, did so. you, did you feel vulnerable at all with like all those like crazy, like awesome animals around you? Um, surprisingly, no. Cause I mean, I think the animals are honestly used to it because it's such a big tourist attraction, um, which at the same time is kind of sad cause it is like their, um, natural habitat and environment and cars aren't a natural part of that. But I think that they're so used to seeing these weird moving objects that it doesn't really phase them, but they couldn't have cared whether we were there or not. Like when we saw, so I saw two female lions and they were just laying in the grass, taking a nap. And there was about 20 safari vans that like pulled up um, on one of the paths and were trying to take a look at them and they were just chilling and they didn't move, didn't care that we were there. Yeah. They just kept napping. They, like, popped their head up a couple times because people were making noises. But they just, yeah, didn't feel, (laughs) I didn't feel threatened at all. I was like, okay, all right. Gotcha. (laughs) Yeah, so the, aren't the two, um, like, official languages, it's Swahili and English, is that right? Yes, yep. Gotcha. The, the, the. You don't know any Swahili, do you? Um, I know a little bit. Like, I know some, like, greetings and how to say hi and stuff. Um, but I was surprised that I didn't really need it because everyone in the city knows how to speak English. Really? Yeah, so they were, they could talk to me in English. And I was like, oh, darn, I kind of wanted to practice some Swahili, <laughs> but... That's yeah. fine. We can talk in English. <laughs> yeah. So you're very fluent in Spanish, right? 
Um, yeah. <laughs> well, in my opinion. I'm out, of pra- I'm out of practice, but yeah, I'm pretty good at Spanish. So what, what languages do you think you could use, like, in a conversation? Like, English, right, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Spanish, um, what else? Spanish, um, Swahili, I could do just, like, introducing myself and kind of, like, asking how your day was. Um, and then when I went to, like, northern Kenya, when I moved out of Nairobi, um, they spoke a language called Gabra. And so I was there the majority of the time. So I learned a lot of the Gabra language and I could have, again, just kind of like the introductory conversation. Hi, how's your day? How you doing? Kind of conversation with people. So that the Gabra, the people that you were with, aren't they the Gabra people? Like that's, yeah. okay. That's what yeah, I so they're called the Gabra people. And then their language is Gabra. So it's the same, same so- word. So is it just like a dialect of a language or is it like its own standalone language? Um, it's, um, well, I guess it is its its own language. Um, it's pretty interesting. So there's two different like tribes, um, I guess. Um, so one's the Gabra people, which um, are the people that I was with. And then there's also another tribe called the Barana people. And they have the same language, but they call them the Gabra language and the Barana language. Um, so, cause they're, I guess they're like conflicting tribes and just like ancestral differences and things like that. They don't necessarily associate with each other, but they come from like the same place and they have the same language, but they call it different things um gotcha so that was interesting to learn so for people who don't know um this is one of the questions that i well i don't want to say anyone else made up but this is the one that i was specifically looking at so i was looking at the geography and what borders kenya Mm -hmm. and i you were in northern africa i don't know how close you were to the border but your um kenya borders uh, Somalia, right? Yes. Was there any concerns of Somali pirates or anything, or anything like that? Um, I wasn't really concerned. I mean, I think I'm probably a little naive (laughs) and kind of too trusting (laughs) with people. Um, but as far as even where I was at location-wise, because that's on... Um, kind of like the east side of Kenya Um, and I was more straight up north so I was really close to Ethiopia Um, Mm. like I could see Ethiopia way off in the distance from where um, from where I was staying Um, so my parents and all my family were very concerned that I was going to be close to Somalia and um, Sudan and Ethiopia and all these other countries and they're like oh my gosh and I was like I promise I'll be fine in the back of my head I was like I really don't know but I'm just gonna <laughs> say that <laughs> uh, but I wasn't I mean I wasn't concerned but that might have just been my own ignorance and not really doing a bunch of research yeah 
purposefully trying so I wouldn't freak myself out about it. But yeah. So you said you could see Ethiopia, mm-hmm. like, but was it like was it only on a clear day, or were most of the, most of the days pretty clear? So like, how far were you from the border, like in miles? Um, oh miles, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not good with that kind of stuff, but That's I could crow see. flies. <laughs> um, I mean, it was just kind of like over there. Um, yeah. But we, um, so the place that I was in, there were a couple different villages that we would go to um, every day. So the one that was furthest north, we could see Ethiopia and they were just telling us like, oh yeah, like this hill is still in Kenya, but then this hill is Ethiopia. And I was like, okay. So they said it would take, if you drove, it would be about 45 minutes to an hour to get there. Oh, so that's, um, not that, that's not that. It's probably about, uh, I mean, Terre Haute to Indianapolis is like 70 miles. And that's, yeah. about, that's about an hour. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's pretty close. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of crazy. I was like, wow. And I really wanted to go. I was like, oh, let's go. I could go to another country. But they're like, yeah, no, you don't want to go. <laughs> You don't want to go over there. Stay on the side. And I was like, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know if Ethiopia was that bad. I mean, it, you always hear like, like starvation and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, I don't know if you know this, but this is actually pretty appropriate because um, what you were going to Kenya for, but Kenya actually means God's resting place. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? I did. Dang it. I'd, <laughs> you tried to stump me. Come on. <laughs> no, I had I had heard that um, before I went, um, but it was yeah, it is kind of a cool a cool name for it. Well, I here I I have something that I almost guarantee you uh, that you don't know about Kenya. Okay. Absolutely, like when I heard this, like it made me get so happy that like there are people in the world that would do this, especially in places like this. But have you heard of the, I think the, I'm no, I'm going to butcher the, the name. It's the Maasai people. The Maasai people. That The Maasai tribe. I don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have you heard of them? Uh-huh. Okay. Do you, do you know what they're famous for? Right. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Well, so they, so this is not the cool fact that I found like a couple days ago, but um, the Maasai tribe, they actually, uh, they would, they're known for doing like these vertical jumps. So like they'll mm-hmm. essentially stand in place and like jump vertically and they jump super high and they're known for like wearing bright colored like beads and stuff like red colored and they just like jump super high. I don't know. I just thought it was really cool. If you get the mm. chance, look up some of the videos of uh, them like jumping up and down and stuff like that. It's yeah. insane. When, um, when I went to the, so at the national park, I mean, the Maasai tribe is a really big tribe and they're very popular, but they have, um, when I was at the park, there were just a group of like five or six just Maasai men standing out in there. They wear like a lot of beads and stuff and they were just standing there just watching all these tourists come in just in the parking lot hanging out and I was like this is so strange because here you are you're in the city and there's people wearing like jeans and t-shirts and 
like I don't want to say normal clothes, but normal clothes. But then you, you say have like these, Western clothing. Yeah. Then you have like these tribal men standing there and their beads and holding like their little spear staff, and you're like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> but it it's such a cool contrast. Um, but then the Maasai people are really famous. They have a huge like market. It's kind of like a flea market, I guess. But they just sell a whole bunch like, of stuff like a bunch of handmade crafts yeah yeah so a lot of little trinkets and artwork and uh, everything handmade um but yeah they call it the maasai market but i mean people who aren't from the maasai tribe are still like a part of it and they sell things and make crafts and um but it's well, a huge tribe culture down there this 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 uh the story or fact that I'm about to tell you is okay. so heartwarming. So when 9-11 happened, when the Twin Towers, you know, fell down mm-hmm. um, in New York City, when the Maasai tribe heard about this, they offered the United States 14 cows. Oh. Because of 9-11. And when I heard that, I was like, what they really did that like I, I saw it on this like little film that I saw and mm-hmm. I was like that is the sweetest thing I have ever heard of like this place in Africa that they may, ne- may they may not have much and they may not have to give but mm-hmm. they gave what they had and they gave the United States 14 cows the United mm-hmm. States never collected the cows and so um, on behalf of the United States um the Maasai tribe, they actually looked after these cows as like a uh, very special like um, animal and they don't do anything to them. Um, mm-hmm. They just let them do their thing. And after a while in, the, in 2006, the U.S. used the cows to start like uh, an education fund and the offspring of those cows were used to pay for education for children, uh, like, of Kenya. Hmm. And Americans donated 14 high school scholarships uh, to them to have students come over uh, and learn in the United States. Um, wow. And it gets better than that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> The cows were branded with a special symbol that resembles the Twin Towers. And the cows have now mm. multiplied to 35, and that was in 2009. So, I mean, 10 years it's been 10 years since yeah. that, but it could be possibly even more than that. So I just thought that was very sweet. And I wanted to share that because I thought that was amazing, and I thought you'd appreciate that. No, that is, that is so cool. I did not know that. And that is a really big deal in the Kenyan culture because I mean everybody owns animals like a livestock kind of animal of some sort and it's such a big like symbol not a symbol but a big part of their like income and their wealth and their status even down there so the fact that the tribe gave 14 cows that is a big deal yeah that's awesome yeah I just like I Every time I think about it, it just, it makes my heart warm and it just makes me smile. And I was like, <laughs> I, need to, I need to share this with everyone. <laughs> yeah, so I'm glad you did. And I hope, yeah, 
people look up more info into it, For I'm sure. definitely going to. For sure. So you were with the the Gabber people, and they're are they camel camel herders? Is that right? Um. So they are camel, but mainly goat goat people. Mm. They love their goats. Oh my goodness. <laughs> And so that that was you you're probably many miles away from a city. Were you like in a village? Yeah, so um I stayed with a missionary couple who lives there full time. Um there's actually two missionary couples who live um in it was called Hurry Hills, the place that I was at, um, with the Gabra people. So I stayed in Hurry Hills um with these two missionary couples and we were about Oh gosh, I don't remember how long the car ride was. Um, but from the closest city, it was maybe like a nine-hour drive. It was like, I remember it was an all-day kind of thing. Um, so yeah, driving just through the desert to get to get there. So we had to take all of our groceries and everything with us. Um and so I stayed with them. They had a little compound um, that they had their two houses set up on um, and a few other like little buildings. Um, and then there were different villages kind of set up around our compound um, that we would go to, um, like a different one every day and do different um, kind of missions, stuff with them, different little church services and fellowships with them. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. I see yeah. you're looking it up. You Googled Hurry Hills trying to find some <laughs> info. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was like, I wonder what the place looks like. And so, like, I mean, you, you Google any city in America, you'll you'll get some type of something. But, like, uh-huh. there was not – and all the pictures that I, <laughs> I was looking at, I was like, okay, yep, just hills, some green, some uh, some orange, yep. um, all dirt roads, and uh, that's about <laughs> it. I was like, yeah, that's not that many people. Yeah, it was about it. I mean, when you think of, like, when someone says Africa in the middle of nowhere, like, when you picture, like, huts and kids running around with no shoes and that kind of stuff, that's what it is. Um, but it's so much different than what I – would have pictured like even when you see images and stuff that they show you of those types of locations it's it's just so different actually being there um but was, i mean yeah was, that's what it looks like those pictures was, yeah was the in uh have you been anywhere in the united states that was like comparable to this like ge- like ge- wow geography geographic wise <laughs> um i don't think so because it was, it's very strange. It's not like mountains, like in, I don't know, the closest place to Indiana, like Tennessee, like how there's, you know, mountains and everywhere. It's literally flat desert, but then there are these random hills that just pop up and they're not really like connected to each other. So it's not like a mountain range. There's just random hills, but they're huge and they just are all over the place, but it's still in the middle of the desert <laughs> that, that's so strange well it's kind of like um you, have you heard of Ka- mount kilimanjaro uh-huh yeah did, were you able to see mount kilimanjaro um i was not actually i saw um mount kenya 
There's another big one. I flew over it, uh, but I didn't see Kilimanjaro. Yeah, I I didn't know what the the hubba baloo was about Kilimanjaro or Mount Kilimanjaro, uh-huh. and I realized well it's the largest the largest mountain in well the tallest mountain in Africa, uh-huh. and it's the largest freestanding mountain. Yeah. And again, unlike other mountains where you have to like climb them, this one you can essentially just hike up up it. Yeah. And it's it's in Tanzania, but you can you can it's like on the border of Tanzania and Kenya. Mm-hmm. And so like if you're close enough, I mean you can see the mountain from the Kenya side, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I was um too far south from where I was going at that point, so I didn't get to go see it. Yeah. So the elevation the, did you have problems with the elevation because I'm looking at it and it's it's almost yeah, that's it's like a mile above sea level. I didn't really notice when I was there at all. The only time that I could really tell a difference in um, elevation was when we were climbing Mount Longanot because we were already up so high and then we were climbing up even higher. And it was so hard. And I was like, I am not this out of shape. Why am I struggling (laughs) so bad right now? It's because you're from Indiana. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have anything close to mountains or oh man but no we got we got turkey run state park which is fire by the way i love me some turkey run state park but let me tell you <laughs> it's it's no mountain it's not it's barely nope. a hill nope that's yeah exactly. so it was very different but i didn't really notice a difference um gotcha. yeah all right so what back back to the gobber people um mm-hmm. what what was your mission there? Like, what were you, were you building things or were you helping out? Like what, what were you there to do? Yeah. Um, so Africa Inland Mission, the organization, their main focus, kind of like their mission statement is to go and reach out to African people groups and help establish churches so that African people can teach the gospel to other African people. So their main goal is to help raise up leaders within the different cultures um, all across Africa so that their people can reach their own people with the gospel. So I went um, honestly just to meet people and to make connections and to share stories. And I mean, we helped out um, the missionaries that I stay with. They help out with like medical things and they're building um, a couple like church buildings down there so there's building projects and um, different sort of tangible things happening alongside of that but the reason that I went was mainly just to help the long-term missionaries who were there kind of give them a break and help them out with whatever they needed since they're there full time they don't really get any sort of rest or break so I was really there just to help them, um, but then just to build relationships with the people there and to be able to share about who Jesus is and the truth of the gospel just so that they can just learn more about it and understand who Jesus is. And then hopefully they'll be inspired and moved by that to want to go and share with their own people and with their family and with their friends. Um, so yeah, I wasn't there to 
necessarily like build anything or to bring like water tanks or anything like that but it was just kind of living with them well you're building up people how about that there you go yeah <laughs> yeah yeah That's a good way to think about it so were you were you working with uh children's or adults or both or like who were you trying to to focus that attention to um, so we worked with everyone, um, cause really the villages when you're there, I mean, everybody comes out to see you. Like when you show up, um, it's important to go and like, we would always go and say hi to the elders, um, which is usually the men, like the older men. Um, so you want to go and like say hi and ask them how they're doing. And the Gabra people are very into, um, like greetings, like there is a certain like format that you have to follow and you say the same thing every time but if you don't do it it's very rude um so you have to go and say hi and greet everyone and ask them how their day is and everything like that so you have to talk to the men and then to the women and then the children just come as soon as they see the car driving up they run to you because they're so excited that you're there so we really spent time with everybody. Um, but my favorite part was definitely the kids. Um, not that I had a favorite. I loved everybody there, <laughs> but <laughs> the kids I don't are have just a favorite so child. Just, just you, Jimmy. I like you. <laughs> I actually, I did have a favorite kid. He was, he was so fun. I loved them all, but he just made me smile so much every time. And I have a picture of him, yeah. but what would, what would he do to, uh, well, what did he do to become your favorite kid? Like, like, <laughs> I just, how many, like, how many kids or like, how many people are in this village? Oh, gosh. Um, so the one village that we spent the most time with the kids, it depended on the day, honestly, because um, they're so, they don't have like a set time schedule. Like time is not a concept in, in Kenya at all, really. So we would say like, oh yeah, we're going to come like every Wednesday at five. That doesn't really mean anything to them. So whoever showed up, but we would usually have like 30 kids um, in that one village. Um, but he was just, first of all, he was just really smart. I don't know how old he was probably eight or nine. Um, but he was just really smart. Like we did an activity with them to have them memorize like a bible verse and he got it right away and he was just so excited to share it with everybody and i was like this kid is special and i was like he's he's smart but he knows that he's smart so he was kind of like <laughs> <laughs> he was just a little like ornery and he just had this like attitude about him and he liked being the center of attention um but at the same time, he was just really sweet and he was always like super eager to like answer a question if we asked it or to volunteer to do something or to help like the younger kids figure out what we were doing. But he was just fun and loud and just had a contagious personality. You can't help but smile around all of them. But he was just a little firecracker and stood out. <laughs> That's crazy. Could you imagine, like, have you have you done like local mission trips or anything, or any any type of stuff like that, um, in the United States or Indiana or in general? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I helped out at, um, in Terre Haute at, at Maryland, um, community church. I helped out a lot with, um, the like middle school and high school, um, youth group services. And so we would do a few, um, mission projects, but I helped out a lot just at, um, that church with the kids. Yeah. And yeah, kids are still kids. No matter what country you yeah. go to, they don't like to listen to you. They like to make a mess, but at the same time, you just you can't get mad at them. Yeah. And they're just so stinking cute. But wow, yeah. I was I was <laughs> I was thinking like, how crazy is it that like the the kids in Kenya like they when they see a vehicle, I don't know if any of the I don't know if they have any vehicles around there. We can get into that a little bit later, but I couldn't imagine even if you're doing a mission in the United States, even if it's like you're going from Indianapolis to like California or Washington state, wherever, mm-hmm. like kids just like when they, they see like a specific vehicle or they know some people's coming where they just, they run up to the car and they're like, Oh my gosh. Hi, how's it going? Like, <laughs> that's just, it's just completely different. It's like, yeah. I wonder, I wonder why that is like, I don't know. I just, that, I find that super amusing. Mm-hmm. It was just really, yeah, it was really sweet. Every time we would show up, it was like a little greeting party. Cause they would all just be excited that we were there, but it was mainly just cause it was such a close community and I mean, community was, like, just a big deal to them, and they care so much about people. So I think the fact that we didn't, um, like, live in their village, we kind of had our own little village, like the two um, houses that the missionaries missionaries stayed in. So every time we would come, they would be like, wow, you're here. Like, we're so glad you're here. Like, it's just such a welcoming environment, and they want you to feel like you're a part of the community, and they want you to feel welcome. So it was just always so... Yeah, just so much energy <laughs> yeah. when we would get there. Yeah. Um, it's so, it's, I, I just, it's, it feels like it's definitely another world for sure. But mm-hmm. um, when you were talking about the greetings, like greeting people, you, yeah. could you tell me what that greeting is? Like, what would you, like, what's the like exact greeting that you'd have to say? Do you want me to like say it <laughs> yes i did yeah that's exactly <laughs> like what i actually I want. say it yeah okay yes. like like here I, I obviously i don't know the greeting but i'll be like hi my name's eric blah blah, blah. and then now you do the greeting that you do to those people um so you would say when you first like see someone you say nagini barada and that's basically just like hello um and then they respond it's a lot of just repeating um, the same words. So you say like "nigini barada," which is high, and they say "barada," so it's just kind of repeating. And then it's just like one word, like kind of question. So like the next one you have to say is "dado," which basically just means "how's your family," and you just respond with the same words. So you say "dado," and it's just it was just very weird. But the next one is like you can say "faya," which talks about your health. Um, hey, if anyone knows me, I just say I I say fire for everything. I'm just like that's that's fire. It's heat. <laughs> <laughs> fire, yeah. So just <laughs> I'd be saying that all little, the time. A little more like 
twang to it, just baya, and then that's asking someone, like, how's your health in Gabra? <laughs> wow, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, um, so yeah. getting getting into that, so did how how was we'll just compare it to Terre Haute because we both know, I mean I know Indianapolis but that's mm-hmm. nowhere comparable. Um, did they like did they have like running water electricity like what were the houses made out of? Tell me about their inter- interior architecture and <laughs> tell me if they could have done anything better. Um, so the Gabra people are a nomadic people group. So that basically means that they move around, um, wherever they want. They don't have like a set location. Um, it's definitely changing a lot. Um, obviously I wasn't there for very long. So a lot of this is like info that I've learned from other people, but, um, that kind of nomadic tradition is changing um, more now and they're staying more in one place um, than they used to um, but the Gabra housing is like movable so they're huts that um, you kind of picture when you think of Africa are made of um, sticks it's basically just like this round structure that has just a bunch of cloth um, and fabric over it but the structure is just made out of sticks and trees and branches. Um, so traditionally they're able to just pick it up and move um, whenever how, they want to. How do they move those houses? Like, do they have like, do they use vehicles or animals or like, how does that work? Um, yeah, a lot of um, donkey and camels, so like pack animals um, to move those sorts of bigger things. Um, but they really haven't, the villages that we went to are more, um, I guess, static. They have been there for a longer time and they're starting to be the creation of more like permanent housing structures. Um, so there were a few actual buildings that were starting to pop up. Um, it's very different than like the construction we have in America. Um, because resources and things are very different but um when they would move it's not like a huge drastic change but they would move to get closer to water um a lot of it is based around um like herding and around their animals that's such a big part of their culture um and everything is about your animal and your um your herd but I think it's becoming more common for like the village to kind of stay where it's at and then the herds and the shepherds just move wherever they need to in order to get water and food for the animals. At least that was like kind of the transition. That's incredible. Um, I feel like it's moving into. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you believe like with all the modern technology we have and all of the building materials and mm-hmm. I can't believe something like this is still going on in 2019. Yeah. Well, you'll think that this is pretty funny, but even with that and they have movable houses and animals and things like that, and they walk everywhere. Everybody pretty much has a cell phone. 
<laughs> like being completely serious that was probably the most shocking wow. thing when i got there and they're not smartphones they're like they're, old, are they like flip phones yeah they're like flip phones um wow but they all have cell phones and i was like wait what is happening so hey like, they gotta stay well connected what do you mean <laughs> but they really would like our um our translator um he would be on his phone all the time like calling his friends and telling his buddy over here like oh yeah i'm gonna come this time or whatever and i'm like what the heck <laughs> like how how do you have phones and there was one cell phone tower um for i don't know how many miles but for like the four or five villages that we were in there was one tower and i was like how is this possible but it was just calling they don't text or have like internet or anything like that but could you imagine though, if they <laughs> did could you imagine like if you get even if you gave them like an iphone 7 or an iphone 8 like you give them an iphone 11 pro max or whatever <laughs> could you imagine how life-changing that would be for them yeah i don't i don't know if they would want it or they wouldn't use it for the same purposes that we used it for like i had my smartphone i have a samsung i'm not an iphone person oh my that's uh, another topic uh, you are no we okay no we do because at this in my household with my household is just me but (laughs) i have had an android for the longest time like i have yeah they're good yeah i have the google pixel 4 and Mm -hmm. i'm trying to sway you off the samsung but the google pixel 4 is fire (laughs) <laughs> it is so good. Like I'd recommend if you're getting a new phone, if you're gonna stay on Android, yeah, get get a, a Pixel. Okay, okay, I'll keep that in mind. That's great. Okay, okay, but... we gotta take a break. I said, why? Okay, why? Why Samsung? Why not? Because almost every girl <laughs> that I know, they're they're team iPhone. Why? Okay, Just, yeah, go, <laughs> go, go. Um, so my dad is not an Apple person. He has hated Apple ever since we got like all got our first iPods however many years ago. He just didn't like the company and the setup. He didn't like the customer service and he thought there were too many problems and all this other stuff. So when we switched to all getting smartphones, we just got Samsung for our first, all of our first phones. And so we just haven't changed since. And he, he doesn't like iPhones. At this point, I don't really even know how to use an iPhone. There's just so many, like, the interface is just so different. I just can't do it. Like, I have an iPhone for work, and I had to have someone help me figure out if I had my volume turned on or not, because there's, like, that little switch the volume, on the side. The volume, uh, yeah, I can't, it's like the, yeah, I know what it is. It's that little switch thing, yeah. Go yeah. Ahead, though. So I didn't know that was a thing. So I thought I had my work phone on, and I've been missing all these calls from people. And I was like, how do I have all these missed calls? Like, I swear, I have my volume turned up to, like, max. How am I missing all of these? So I had, I just don't know how iPhones work. And I just really like, I just really like my, um, I have a S9. Ah. So I'm a little behind. I am getting an update soon, I hope. But I just really like it. And it has... Like, I think it has a really good camera and all that stuff. My friends sure. never believe me because iPhones and Androids, they don't like sending pictures to each other very well. <laughs> no. So if I, like, take a photo and send it to my friends, it comes 
to them like super blurry and they're like wow your phone sucks and I'm like no it doesn't I promise you it's a great photo it just won't send to you like because they just don't play very well yeah that the same thing has happened to me and there I mean there's workarounds to it uh, like I, the text messaging app the default app is so mm-hmm. bad I just most of the time I use actually I hardly text anyone I usually use Facebook Messenger really I, yeah like mm-hmm. I I just I don't know I think it works better um privacy uh probably didn't have any privacy yeah I like the little chat bubbles that comes up because you can like click in and out and you can like do other things yeah and yeah so like I I almost avoid using like text messages I'll use I'll mm-hmm. use any of the social media platforms really before I I use sms yeah that's because huh. it's that bad that's crazy yeah well honestly in so I've been, yeah, I've been to obviously Kenya and Guatemala, and then I've been to the UK, and all of those places they use WhatsApp. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Yeah, Facebook owns what WhatsApp. Uh huh. But WhatsApp is such a big um, messaging. I don't know app. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, a lot. It's very popular in Asia as well. Yeah. So like every other country basically uses it because you can message people, you can do group messages. They just added, you can put like stories. So like how Instagram and Snapchat has like stories, you can do that on WhatsApp. So it's like everything almost like rolled into one. So everybody, everybody else in the world uses WhatsApp except for America. Yeah. I, so I had, before I had the the pixel, I had a uh, Galaxy S7 Mm-hmm. And then before that, I had the Galaxy S5, which the Galaxy S5 might be one of my favorite phones of all time. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, okay. Sorry. That was a long <laughs> tangent, but like, if someone says that to me, like, I'm about to just geek out with them. So, like, us Android people got to stick together. Oh, for sure. I'm, I'm like, I'm losing my mind over here. So happy to hear that. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, because this is also a technology podcast, and, and yeah. it's, it's good, to, good to talk about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was actually one of my questions was cell phone technology and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, good we got that got that covered. So yeah, they yeah they all had little flip phones, but um, they loved especially the kids. They loved my phone because I would take like um, pictures. I would do it in like selfie mode so they could see themselves on the screen while I, I was taking the picture. They they loved it, and so I would take like videos too and play it back to them, and they thought it was the funniest thing ever, like actually seeing themselves like on a screen, like they, they just loved it. And I um, thought they were famous. Yeah, maybe. Um, but it was also really interesting um, when we would take pictures like of them. Um, Cause we had like a, um, like a camera and then like obviously our phones. Yeah. So when we would be like, okay, we're going to get a picture whether it was like the kids or like this one time we took a picture of like the group of women um, after they had just been to like a literacy class and they all had their notebooks. So we wanted to get a picture of them like holding their notebooks. And so we like, we get them all in line. We're like, all right, we're going to take a picture. Ready? One, two, three. And they go like straight face. So like how we, when we're like, oh yeah, we're going to take a picture. We all smile because we know what's happening. Yeah. But they could be all like happy and laughing. And as soon as you're like, okay, we're going to take a picture, they get like serious face. And you're like, wait, what are you doing? Like you were just so happy. And so that's why 
when you Google like pictures and you see like all these people in Africa and they look sad or mad or whatever, I'm like, they just don't know how to smile for a picture because it's not like a common concept. They don't know what they're supposed to do. It's not like, because for us, we know since we're little kids, okay, we're going to take a picture. You smile. Whether you're happy or not, you smile. (laughs) Well, well, it's it's just like in America, at least it's like, the, it was very common, you know, back in the day, probably not much anymore, but the, um, you'd hear like your mom or your dad like, smile everyone. And so then everyone is, uh-huh. okay, I'm about to take a picture. Okay, mm-hmm. I need to look happy, smile, take picture. And then, you know, and yeah. then it works like that. That's crazy. It's the yeah. complete opposite. Yeah. So stereotype, whenever you Google pictures or you see those like commercials on TV and there's the sad looking kids and all this stuff, like, and I'm sure that music. they, yeah, I'm sure that they do need help, but I guarantee you that before the picture was taken, they were laughing and happy and just enjoying life about something, but they just don't have the same like recognition of, oh, my picture's getting taken, smile. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I have so many pictures where I'm like, oh, everybody looks so sad, but they just, it's not a normal thing to smile for a picture. Wow. Do you think like so? It sounds like anytime they act, anytime they were interacting with like like smartphones or like technology, mm-hmm. it seemed like they were like just intrigued and like their mind was blown. But do you think um, not having? I I wouldn't imagine they don't have a bunch of stuff like like a lot of people yeah. in America or in Western cultures like. I collect Nintendo 64s and I have four <laughs> consoles and stuff like that. And it's like, did did anyone have any collections of anything? Or do you think the lack of technology, do you think they're happier because of that? Or like kind of, what's your take on that? Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know if it would necessarily be a collection, but the thing that they collect is animals. Like that's mm-hmm. just such a big part of their culture, but it's not just like a, um, like a hobby or something like most collections that we have are it's their way of life um, but it is just so different over there because they don't have a lot of possessions and resources but they don't know any different because that's what they're used to that's what they have grown up in and that's normal to them and I mean it's still hard because um, like drought is a very big issue um, especially in northern Kenya, Um, but they know how to cope with it. Um, But yeah, they just don't have a lot of items, like even clothing-wise, like they wear the same thing for a couple weeks, and then they might have one or two other outfits um, to change into. But like even when I was there, I wore a different um, I had to wear long skirts um, and like a t-shirt, but I still wore like a different skirt and a different t-shirt like every day. And then um, you'd wash it and then I would like wear it once and wash it, but they <laughs> have to wear like the same thing for two weeks and then you change and wash it. And um, so it's just, it's very different, but I don't think they know what they don't have if that makes sense. Cause to them, they're not really missing anything. But when we look at them, they're like, Oh my gosh, you don't have a house. You don't have clothes. You don't have like 
a grocery store to go to, but that's just well, normal. Well, they're they're also nomadic people, and I'd uh-huh. imagine, like me personally, like when I was moving down to Texas, I like I'm so weird because I'm like, okay, what can I eliminate? I need to be like as light as I possibly can, mm-hmm. and so I feel like if I knew I was gonna move somewhere. I would try to reduce my stuff or not have that much stuff and especially being nomadic people. I mean, yeah. do do you do you think they probably only had like like a couple outfits, like one, two, three outfits and that was it? Mhm. Definitely. And I mean, the huts that they lived in weren't very big and what you could fit in your hut was what you had. Um so, I mean, possession wise it was just very minimal but to them that's like not what was important and it was um it's very like about your community and the people that you're with but then also like like I said the big thing is um their herds and their animals and when (laughs) they asked me one time how many goats I had uh, (laughs) back in America and I told them that I didn't have any and they got like very concerned for me because that just isn't a concept to them. And they were like, oh, like, are you OK? Like they were just kind of like mind blown when I told them that I didn't have any livestock and like yeah. that my family didn't have any. They were kind of concerned. But I told them, like, no, I promise I'm OK. Like it's a little different in America. <laughs> I, I would have been like, like, yeah, I only have one goat and his name's Peyton Manning. like yeah he's the greatest quarterback of all time so uh oh my gosh they definitely would not have gotten that reference i know it (laughs) it would have been purely just for my own entertainment yeah for your own enjoyment (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure that's crazy so where where did they get their clothes or goods or like what did what did they eat um so food they ate a lot of um like rice, um, that's just, I feel like a staple in a lot of countries, um, rice, anything. They had um, more of like a traditional thing. It was called ugali, and I don't even know how to explain it. Um, did you eat some of it? I did. It was actually it was actually pretty good. It wasn't my favorite thing ever because um, it was kind of like a, oh, my gosh. I don't know. It was like a flour mixture so it was kind of like the consistency of like, oh, I'm forgetting the word. Was it kind of like, um, what's that? Cere- it's like that hot c- cereal. I can't think of it. Oatmeal. Oatmeal. <laughs> Is it kind of like that? Um, Consistency wise, it was kind of like that. It was a little harder. It depends on how much water you add. Um, but sometimes it could like come out in blocks. So it was kind of like. Like a cliff bar. I don't know, kind of like a cornbread, maybe. Oh, I love me some cornbread. But it didn't. It did not taste like cornbread. It wasn't made of corn, well, so it well, wasn't. What did it taste like. Um, just very dry and plain, because it was really just made of this like different type of flour that they had. So I mean, it was just like a flour and water so mixture. Where Where did they get the food, or where did they get the flour and the rice from? Did they have like mission like missionaries bring them to them or did they like go buy them as like their marketplace or what um so they have little stores 
um, kind of in each village um, that would sell just like, yeah, your basic foods and then like some clothing and um, different things like that. So it was really just coming from those stores, um, those little shops, and they would get their supplies from um, like the closest city. So they would have um, like trucks coming in with like shipments of stuff, but it's still not a lot. It's whatever they could afford to bring in, like whatever the stores could afford to bring in. And then obviously people buying from there. Um, So they had some sort of, they had like potatoes and some things like that, but it was a very dry climate. So even like agriculture is not a thing up there so like growing your own food isn't really um possible honestly Um, so do do they eat any of the animals that they herd um yes not very often because that is like their main form of income Um, so what do, do they sell the animals like how do they get income from that um yes um I don't know. It was very strange. Like they would, um, I think it's like the more that you, the more animals you have, the richer or the more rich you're considered. Um, but yeah, I think you just sell, um, yeah, you would just sell your goats or whatever to, um, to like the market. Um, and that's how you would make, make money, um, to be able to, afford other things but yeah they did eat um some of their animals not very often um but when they need it they would have it so like the um compound that i stayed on the missionaries had a couple goats that they had been like gifted from people in the village and one of our goats was killed by a baboon oh so what we did you see had to that? Eat that I did not see it. I was kind of upset that I didn't see it happen, which <laughs> okay, sounds, you're, sounds you kind of gruesome. But hey, I was in Africa. I mean, you just gotta you just gotta go with it and take I it. I just want to see something die, not me, but I just <laughs> want to see it. <laughs> oh man, but no, our um, we had we called them guards um, that lived on our property. They weren't really guards. We weren't really in danger of anything. Um, but yeah, one of our guards found the goat just kind of laying there um, after he had been attacked by a baboon. So they um, butchered him up and we had goat for about a week after that. Um, another time, one of the villages had like a big celebration and one of the elders um, killed one of his cows that he had and they had like a big a big feast and celebration with um, beef and rice and potatoes. And that was really fun. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> what was that? What was, so do they, so they, they don't eat a lot of meat, I reckon. Uh, uh-uh, not really. Gotcha. Did, so did they have like utensils or plates, bowls? Like what did you guys use for like to <laughs> hold your food? Um, well, where I lived, the missionaries that I stayed with, we had plates and utensils and all that, um, all that stuff. But they really didn't. I mean, they had some dishes. Um, another big thing for them was tea. They would have chai a lot, and I think that's honestly how they got a lot of their like um, 
dairy because it has milk in it and a lot of their like sugar intake that they would need was from chai so they would have um like a tea kettle and a couple cups um but when we had the big like feast celebration um with the cow and the rice and everything they brought it out on just a couple really big plates and there would be like different groups kind of sitting around so there was like a little circle of about eight of us around this big plate and you just eat it with your hands off the plate wow <laughs> which so, was honestly really fun <laughs> so so was it like a big like family style seating like like benches did they have benches or were you sitting on the ground or um they have little stools that they call barchumas and they're just made of um just like scrap pieces of wood um so yeah just like little tiny stools they sit on the floor a lot um they say it's kind of like a weird like squatting position they sit with like if they squat all the way down and like their knees are kind of in front of them um and then they put like their they like rest their elbows like on their knees i don't know if i'm explaining that very well um so it's almost kind of like they're sitting on the ground but they're really just like squatting there um interesting so which i can't do that i tried so hard <laughs> i would fall over every time because they're not like actually sitting on the ground they're like balancing on their feet but they're just kind of squatting there and i'm like i can't do this um <laughs> you should have practiced that night i know i really should have like i don't know what like muscle you need to be able to hold that position but i don't have it Apparently, yeah so, i was about to say one that you don't have yeah um yeah, well, because you're fairly tall, aren't you? Yeah, I'm six foot tall. <laughs> you sound that, you say that with regret. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm not much taller than you. I'm, I'm six one. Uh -huh. But like, how, how tall were the people around there? Were they very tall? Because I imagine for taller people, it'd probably be harder to do that position that you're talking about. I mean, honestly, I think that they were fairly tall. I don't think I really paid attention to that when I was there. But, like, um, they weren't – I would say that they were average height. And a lot of the women were probably, like, 5'8", 5'9"-ish. That's fairly tall. Yeah. I mean, especially when I'm thinking, like, when I was in Guatemala, everyone there was super short, and I stuck out a lot. But I felt like I fit in height-wise <laughs> Yeah. Kenya. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I've I've heard. Um, I was talking to one of my friends one time, and she was telling me she's like, "Yeah, I went to the Japan and they like they just loved uh -huh. tall people and like blonde <laughs> hair, and um, I and like they would just like come up to people who are like tall and blonde hair and like like white people, yeah, and they'll just like take pictures with them and stuff, and like people thought they were like celebrities or something like that, and uh -huh. I was like. I got to go to Japan. I'm tall and I have blonde hair. Oh, man. <laughs> I should go there, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I was like, you're, you're, you're tall and you have blonde hair. I was like, you would be a celebrity. I imagine you could get any food you want for free. <laughs> that yeah. would be great. I'll have to add that. Another another place I need to add to my list. Oh, uh, I, there's so many places I want to go to. I've been mm -hmm. doing this this weird. Uh, I don't know necessarily if it's weird, but um, so if I see a place on, I don't know if you have a laptop that does this, but on like a Windows laptop, 
there's like this thing called Windows Spotlight, and it'll mm-hmm. get a picture, uh, like uh, a, like a super awesome photograph of some landscape, and it'll change like every day or every however many hours, and it'll be of a place like in Japan or a place in like like London or mm-hmm. like. It'll be a lot of times it could be like smaller places even. Um, there's one time there's this like this castle in Ireland, and what I'll do like you can click on the thing. There's like this thing you can click on, and when you log in, it'll open up the web page and it'll tell you where that picture was taken and, and like where the area is. And so what I'll do is I'll go into I'll find it on Google Maps, and then I'll save it on Google Maps, and like it'll start it on the map. So like. If you go on Google Maps and you like zoom way out and you can like see the world and stuff, it saves those starred places on there to like remind you of places that you want to go so you don't forget. Oh. Yeah, I would recommend doing that. That is cool. I do need to look that up. I do have a Windows computer, so I need to. I'll have to search for that. But like, or anytime that I see a YouTube video or I. Anytime I see a super special place, I will immediately just go and look it up. And I'm like, oh, I'd love to go there. <laughs> Can you see my screen right now? Yeah, yeah. These like starred places right here. Oh, nice. Yeah, mellow see? mushroom. Uh, that was just a pizza place I wanted to go uh, to. <laughs> oh, have you I, ever I, been to a mellow mushroom? No, I, I had. The first time that oh, okay. I went, I was in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Yeah. And I was like, those pizza places are so good. They are pretty good. Not sponsored. <laughs> but um You might have to start getting all these sponsorships from all these places you keep dropping in here. I'm just here's the thing. I'm a big fan of just well, anyone's a big fan of places that they like, but like if there's a good place like I'm not gonna keep sign like I'm I'll tell people and to go enjoy it. It's just it's so good. Yes. But if you can see on my map, um, I zoomed out here, and there's like a bunch of starred places around here mm-hmm. where I'm at. But you can see the United oh, States. Wow. I just I started a bunch of different places that like you can kind of see if you look from Indiana and you kind of go up towards Illinois. And then there's this like big loop of places. Uh-huh. I was I was gonna go like on a. Like, uh, I was just going to drive out west one summer and then go and loop around and come back. And those were all the places that I starred. Oh, gotcha. You don't yeah. have anything starred in Indiana. That's because I, I, because I know everything in Indiana. <laughs> I'm, I, here's the thing. I love Indiana. Like, I don't know. A lot of people are like, I got to get out of Terre Haute. I got to get out of oh, Indiana. I love Terre Haute. Indiana is fire. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it is so... Like, I'm not gonna lie. I kind of, I kind of wish I lived there still, but you know, uh-huh. it's just, it's just how it happens. But yeah, yeah, this is this is one of the biggest features that people probably don't use for maps. But I would highly recommend like starring all these places. Like, there's this like super tiny island that's the Faro Island. There's like this beautiful, uh, I think it's a waterfall or this like coastline. Oh wow. But oh yeah, there's a city. Anyway. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So I digress, but <laughs> that that's just something that I do whenever I uh 
whenever I see an amazing picture of a place, uh-huh. I automatically just go and do that. Yeah, but, that is really cool. Okay, back to the uh, the Kenya topic. <laughs> All right, you're, you'll like this one. This may be kind of vague at first. All right, tell me why Lady is your favorite animal in all of Kenya. Oh, my gosh. So, for I guess for people listening who don't know who Lady is, Lady is um, the dog that lived on the compound where I was staying. And she is just the sweetest dog ever. I don't know what... I really don't know what kind of dog she is. She's a mix She's a of sweetie. Of That's what kind of dog she is. She <laughs> is. She is just adorable. But so she lives outside. She is like an African bush dog all the way. And like I have a dog um, at home. She's a golden retriever. But she's a little princess and she lives inside. And I love her. But she is so spoiled. And she could not last a second out in the middle of the African desert. But then there's this dog that lives out in the middle of the desert and I mean like we feed her and take care of her and everything I guess not we the missionaries who live there take care of her um and everything but like she's just out in the middle of yeah of the desert and there's a lot of like thorn bushes there and so she has like thorns stuck in her fur and everything oh my gosh but she just doesn't care she is the sweetest thing ever and I'm just such a dog person, so when I got there and saw that they had a dog, I just immediately fell in love, and it just kind of made it feel a little more like home. Um, and so I would just go sit out on the porch and pet her, and um, Rachel, the um, girl that was my partner that stayed with me, um, she did not like to pet Lady because she was like, she has been out outside, she is dirty, she is gross, like... I don't know the last time she's gotten a bath or anything and she's like, I just don't really want to pet her. And I'm like, well, you know what? Like she probably doesn't get much attention and I felt so bad for her. And so I just gave her all the love. And so she would follow me around everywhere. And Oh, she was just my favorite. She was so cute. (laughs) Yeah. I, I saw the picture of the dog on Instagram. I was like, yeah, we're going to bring that up. That's, uh, I was like, we're, yeah. that's going to happen. I was trying to teach her some tricks while I was there. And like, because um, I don't think she was ever like trained, like how most like household dogs in America are trained to like sit and come and roll over and all that kind of stuff. But because she needs to stay alive and avoid them baboons. Yeah. But yeah, so she was also kind of like our guard dog like at night she would bark when there were um so we had baboons on our property and we had some hyenas on our property so she like barks and would tell us like hey there's something out here um she had a cage that she could stay in so she was like safe from all of those wild animals so she wasn't like completely exposed and helpless um, at night but so she was she was safe, but she would let us know if there was something something out there. Was this compound like was it like a permanent structure like or mm-hmm. what like okay because you baboons are ruthless. <laughs> they really are. They're vicious. Yeah, and then you said you had hyenas as well. 
Uh-huh. Um, Those yeah, things will eat you alive. <laughs> okay, uh, that's crazy. You can't just skip over that. Like, oh, we just had these in there. Oh, hey. I'm sorry. It just seems so, like, normal to me now. <laughs> well, yeah, if you were there for two months. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, they just came on um, our property. So, yeah, we did have, like, um, ha- like houses. Um, again, not quite like what we have in America. I was honestly surprised when I got there how nice they were. Um, but when they were building them, however many years ago, they brought in a bunch of materials from, like, Nairobi and from the city. So, like, I had a bed um, that I slept on, um, it wasn't, like, Tempur-Pedic, whatever kind of bed, it was, like, a little twin bed, but I was, like, wow, I honestly wasn't expecting this, and, like, we had a kitchen, um, and, like, a stove, um, and stuff like that, but, yeah, the, um, so we were completely safe, like, they couldn't get in to, like, the house that we were staying in, but, um, when I was there, it was, like, the dry season and um so yeah drought and everything all the animals kept coming around because we had water tanks and they could I guess they could like smell that there was water on our property so the hyenas and the baboons kept coming because they wanted water so they would come check it out at night and try to see what they could get that is crazy (laughs) wow yeah so could, were you ever, like, woken up in the middle of the night by, like, stuff that they were doing? No. And, I'm, okay, this is another thing that I was sad about. Oh, um, my gosh. I, <laughs> like, I was sad about not seeing the baboon and the goat. But, anyway, I was on, like, the wrong side of the house, like, the opposite side of the house compared to where, like, all the water tanks and stuff um, were. So I never – heard lady bark but I would like wake up the next morning and they'd be like oh yep like we got this picture of a hyena outside of our window and I was like what the heck like come wake me up I want to see it come on guys I want to be right next to death I want to stare it in the eyes Uh, but um yeah so we saw him a couple times and well not weeks I didn't see them but the people I was living with saw them a couple times and got some pictures um, the hyenas actually broke, like, our sewer pipe, um, or, like, yeah, like, there was an exposed pipe coming from the house, and the hyenas, like, ripped through it because there was water in it, so they wanted to get to it, so they ripped through one of our pipes. I was so like, oh, at, my gosh. So, at this compound, did they, did they have, like, 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 washing and drying machines, and, like, you were able to take a shower every night? Is that right? Um, so there was, we had like a bathroom, um, inside, we had an outhouse too, that we were supposed to use like during the day. Um, cause it doesn't use any water or anything. Um, but at night we could use, um, like the bathroom inside, there was a sink. Um, and we did have a shower. It was kind of like, um, just this kind of like setup that they had rigged with like a shower head and some pipes, um, but the way you had to do it, I couldn't take a shower every day. It was, like, maybe every three or four days. Oh, um, man. <laughs> which, I mean, it wasn't, okay, it wasn't, like, that bad. Um, I had to have my hair covered the whole time I was there. So I wore, like, um, like a headscarf 
um, when I was there for like tradition and modesty reasons. So I was like, well, my hair is not really an issue, but I mean, it was definitely like still dusty and a little hot, but yeah, we could only take a shower every few days and you would have to like turn on the water, get your hair wet and everything, turn the water off. And then you would do shampoo and soap and all that kind of stuff. And then you turn the water back on and rinse off and turn it off real quick. Um, So yeah, you try to use the least amount of water as possible. And then you would take your shower water because we would stand in like a, like a big bucket. And then we would (laughs) use that, (laughs) we would use that water to like flush the toilet. Uh, Yeah. Well, uh, have you ever heard the term? It's, it's a... It's, it's, I know there's gray water and there's black water. Black uh-huh. water is like your wastewater. Gray water is like water, like shower water. And then you can uh-huh. use that gray water to like flush the toilet. You just pour it down in the toilet and then it flushes and everything. Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. I heard a lot about that through my major and stuff um, with plumbing and all that fancy stuff. So I think a lot of places even in america are trying to figure out a way for like sustainability reasons trying to find a way to use gray water from like sinks and showers and things like that and using it in toilets to like flush toilets and then you get black water and you can't use that for anything else because it has human waste in it so yeah that's i mean go, but i mean it, it only makes sense if you if you look at a at an rv i mean a so an RV, like a lot of them, they'll have those water tanks on them and they'll mm-hmm. have a tank for clean water and then they'll have a tank for the gray water and then they'll have it for black water. But some of the, the RVs nowadays um, will have like a system like that where you can use the gray water for other things like that um, until it gets to the black water. So yeah, ha- actually, this is kind of interesting. So have you have you thought about like... And I keep wanting to say interior design, but I'm sure you'll smack me in the face if I keep saying that interior arch art is completely different, right? Um, so the way that my major was set up was it had more of an emphasis on architecture. So basically, I guess it just makes it easier to go back, um, to grad school to get your master's in architecture. Um, so right now, I mean, I am an interior designer, so I'm not going to slap you if you say that, but, um, <laughs> so there's not really a difference at this point for me. Cause I only have my bachelor's degree. Um, but I guess just my program focused more on, um, just some more architectural points and structures and, um, gotcha. safety codes and things like that. Yeah. Have you, have you thought about doing like interior for like automobiles or like rvs like especially like rvs or something like that because i mean you know it's basically a home on on wheels mm-hmm. have you thought about that um i i really haven't i know that that's a thing my dad works for rolls royce um does like plane they make um, the engines up there, right? yeah um so he's always like oh you could like do interiors for planes and i had that's a friend a yeah, I had a friend who'd had an internship um, as an interior designer for, like, yachts. Um, oh, and, like, my gosh. Like, yeah, like, boats and things like that. And there's, I was like, that is so cool. Because there's so many components to 
I guess, interior design that I didn't really even think of. But yeah, cars and RVs and planes and boats and all that stuff. But um, I haven't really looked into it. Right now I'm just in residential kitchen and bath design. (laughs) What? Because I'm fascinated. What about like tiny homes? Do you do anything with tiny homes or are you interested in that? Um, I don't do anything now, but I am. I do think that they're really cool. Um, at the Indianapolis Home Show, it's like a big thing every year in Indiana. I think it was two years ago they had a big exhibit of tiny homes, and I just loved them. They were so cool. But personally, I don't think I would ever have a tiny home because I'm You're too tall. very no. tall. <laughs> And I mean, most of them, like the bedroom is like a lofted kind of thing on like the second floor. So you have to like crawl up into it. And I just don't think I would enjoy doing that. But I think the design behind them are so cool. And it's just really fascinating all the different like storage techniques that you can use to fit as much as possible in a a little space. Yeah, that's one thing that fascinates me. It's just like tiny homes essentially are RVs with no wheels. And uh-huh. what I mean by that is um, if you look at RVs or tiny homes, they just have such a great use of space. They use every mm-hmm. – there's something functional about every, like, square foot. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about function. Nothing's just for aesthetic purposes. Yeah. Do you think – do you think the the Gabra people, the Gabra tribe could could, like, use tiny homes eventually? Do you think that would be a possibility if they're not so nomadic? In a very different sense of tiny home, yes. And in a way, I feel like that's kind of like what they have now. It just looks very, very different. Um, but in terms of like using the space that you have with the intention of functionality only and how can you get the most out of the space that you do have is kind of what they're leaning to as they're like transitioning to a more um stabilized or like more um like stay in place kind of community um they do have a few like i said they do have a few buildings that are kind of popping up and they are very small but you get the most out of the space that you can gotcha Um, that's cool so we, we've kind of gone through the process of what it was like to to like apply to this program, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word, and then the travel over there, and then your first week there. Um, I'd say we – do you think we've kind of covered a, like about a month of since you've been there and um, kind of what was, what was different from, from the first month to the second month? Um, I think – more into the second month, I knew what I was doing because <laughs> I really went into it like completely, no expectations. I honestly had no idea what I was getting myself into. So by yeah, halfway through, I knew, um, obviously I knew like where I was, the people I was with, um, was into like a normal kind of schedule and routine. Um, so it just seemed so much more relaxed and like I was able to be a part of um, just the people there and the whole reason why I was there in the first place to get to know them and to 
make relationships and to have conversations. And um, so I really got to dig more into that about halfway through. Um, and it just felt like I was a part of the community more and I wasn't just a new person who was going to be there for a little amount of time and then leave. Um, I felt like I was able to really, um, really get involved and know people and I don't know. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> there's just, there's just so much that happens. I don't want to keep going on and on, but, um, yeah. What, what was, what was the last week like being there and knowing that you're, you've done so much to help these people and you've been there for two months. Um, how did you feel, um, leaving, uh, that tribe of people and then how, wh what was that like? Um, in like the moment, like the last few days that I was there, it was definitely kind of bittersweet because I knew it was the last time that I was going to see these people again. And I almost, I almost cried one of the last days we were leaving, um, the village with all the kids that I loved. Cause I was like, wow, this is the last time I'm going to see them. And I don't think that they understand that I'm not like coming back tomorrow. Um, but it was, I feel like I was kind of ready to come home because I knew I was only going to be there for two months. And I had definitely like hit that point where I was like, okay, I'm kind of homesick. Um, I was excited to go back to, um, we went back to Nairobi for a few days and met up with my whole team of people um, that was there. So I was able to, we were all like, got back together in a little reunion and shared stories and hung out and had fun. So that was um, good to do that but it was again it didn't really feel real in the moment because it went by so fast um, but I don't think it really hit me that I was going back home until um, I flew back to Dallas and then I was about ready to um, get on my plane from Dallas back to Indy and I was like wow like I'm I'm not in Kenya anymore and I don't know the next time I'm going to be back and when I'm going to see all of these people that I just spent two months with. Yeah. What, what was that debriefing like when you got back into Nairobi? Um, so the team that I was with, they did a really good job of having like a debrief, um, for like about three days before we all went home and they just walked us through like um just how to answer people's questions when we got back home and everyone's like how is africa because that's such a loaded question <laughs> yeah it's like, I, like i was there I for two that? months i can't i can't just say oh yeah great i did this and so yeah that that's one of the reasons why i wanted to get you on the podcast is because you like you can't just go around and keep telling, like we've been on here for over two hours. You can't just go around and have two hours with everyone and be like, this is how it was. This is what yeah. I did. This is what, what I went. I imagine there's probably some things that you said, like the baboons. I don't know if you talked about that to other people, but uh -huh. like, I found that super amusing. Like that was, it's just like, you don't mm -hmm. get that chance to like express your voice and your word until yeah. you get something like this. And that's why I think it's, 
it's so powerful to do that mm -hmm. and you get to relive someone's experience by listening to the podcast and it's great for people who may be like you who didn't know what they were getting into and mm -hmm. didn't know what to expect and uh, they they don't have this kind of time to sit down and talk to somebody, someone that experienced something so powerful like this. Yeah. I mean, I know I've never been on a mission trip, but I imagine if I had and I had been away for two months like you, how powerful uh, um, the emotions would be inside of me and how I would feel looking back on um, being in Kenya. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you probably had some culture shock coming even kind of back into Nairobi but more specifically Dallas like mm -hmm. you're when you're out and I don't want to say in the middle of nowhere but like if you're you're out where you're out of your environment yeah. you're out of your comfort zone like it's it's shocking to come back into a society that's like whoa this is crazy and like for me whenever I've traveled abroad it made me and I was like when I come back I'm like my world is not what I think it is. Mm -hmm. I traveled to like very Western places like Ireland, Australia, Iceland, and it's nothing that you experienced in Africa. The stuff that you told me about their houses and how they moved and like, I, I couldn't imagine that would be my day to day and how I lived because I mean, we're both sitting here talking into microphones and we're in air conditioning and it's just completely mm. different. Did you did you have any culture shock more or less when you came back? Um a little bit. I think I mean obviously I'm so used to being like home. Like I came back, um I live with my parents again. Um so like I came back to like the house that I grew up in and so that's just so what I'm used to but it was definitely very weird coming home taking a shower and leaving the water on <laughs> like <laughs> which like that was the first thing I did when I got back to my house was I took a shower and like and not uh, having your goat being attacked by a baboon <laughs> yeah um it was just like a bunch of little things I was like wow that is like I've never noticed this before but that's so different than what I just experienced for two months. And, um, I don't know. I think another really big like culture shock, which this is another big topic, so we don't have to get into it, but the whole race thing over there, it's very, it's just such an open conversation. And I mean, everybody just was calling me white. Like they just, it's not offensive. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know. It was just, it's a fact like I'm a white person in Africa I stick out and they were just like um the Swahili word is mazungu for white person so I'd be walking down the street in Nairobi and random people would yell oh mazungu like white person blah 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 wow. and I'm like okay but it's just so normal. it's almost it's almost <laughs> as if they were in the zoo looking at you what? in your in, in a habitat it was like you were what they came there to see it's like whoa look at that rock there there's a there's a white woman walking down the road i know that was a horrible australian accent but like that's my best steve Irwin. That's, yeah that's, that's that's yeah that's crazy but just thinking about how 
here in America, how we handled the topic of race. It was just so different being there. So like the Kenyan people that I became really good friends with, they just would ask me so many questions about my skin. Like I got a sunburn really bad one day. And so I was peeling <laughs> on my arms and they were, they were just like so concerned for me, but they were like asking me a bunch of questions and they were like, why one of the girls was like, why didn't your skin protect you from the sun? And I was like, I don't know. I'm pale. It didn't do it. I don't know. <laughs> but oh, they were just so fascinated awesome. by that. And then the Gabra people don't have like, um, like they don't have hair on their arms or anything like that. So I have like, like lol baby arm hair. And so they were just <laughs> so fascinated and they would just sit there and like rub like my arms and they just like loved like touching my hands and yeah just like feeling my skin even though it feels the same uh, they were just so like fascinated by it and so I think that was kind of even more of a culture shock honestly coming back because I was like wait a minute I just spent two months just like saying like black and white and like calling people like saying like recognizing oh. people by like their race and things like that and I'm like I can't do that over here <laughs> like just not not in the same way and so I like had to watch myself like the first day I got back like that first weekend I went to the Indiana State Fair and I was like okay I have to watch myself because I like I'm staring at people and I'm like I can't <laughs> I was like I need to like calm down and be more aware of where I am right now I'm in Indiana like I can't say things that I was used to saying for the past two months <laughs> Interesting. I wonder if you're at the state fair when I was there curious because I went to the state mm -hmm. fair as well I'm, I'm gonna have to look it up maybe I don't remember when I went that's okay take your I time. could figure it out anyway um so it's kind of like in, in uh, China. Um, a lot of people, like if you went over to China and if someone came up to you, whether it was English or Chinese, Mandarin, whatever, um, they'll come up to you and they're very, they're very blunt. And uh -huh. they, they, don't, they don't really take offense to a lot of things. So I was watching um, a YouTuber um, that's over there and he was saying like, Asian like Chinese people they'll come they'll come up to you and just if they see it like you're like overweight or something like that or they see something that's like out of the normal they'll like come up and like ask you hey why are you overweight or hey why why does this look like that or they'll uh -huh. they'll, they'll be very blunt about it so that's kind of interesting how that is yeah um, with huh. race over in Kenya because it feels like here in America, like you, like you obviously race is very touchy. You can't just go around and doing that, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you go up and ask someone, "Why are you fat?" It, you, it, yeah, that's you can't do that. No, nope. just not white now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's crazy. So after all that you had experienced over in Kenya. Mm-hmm. How did how did you feel after the trip, and um, what changed in you um, moving forward? Like what, like I said, when I first went abroad, and it was just Australia, it 
it just, I don't know why, but it felt like my eyes were opened a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just felt more peaceful and I would be able to talk to people like better. So like what, what, if, if at all, what, what changed in you and how did you feel when you got back? Yeah, it definitely just kind of changed my perspective on one, I guess, like consumerism, how much stuff I have. I was like, wow, I have a ton of crap that I don't need. And so I definitely spent like the first month after I got back, just like cleaning out things and like going through my closet and like donating a bunch of clothes that I've never worn before. Um, and just really like, I don't need all this stuff. I don't need to go buy anything else. Um, so that really kind of shaped my perspective on that stuff. Um, but then, so yeah, obviously I went for a missions trip. So a lot of it was, um, based around, um, Christianity and that whole subject. So the main reason we were there, um, was to share, um, about Jesus and the gospel with, um, all the people that we were interacting with and the way that they talked about God and, um, I don't know, just shared like him with other people and the way that they would worship was just so different than here. And it was just so simple. And it just made me come back and think like, why do we have to overcomplicate things? Like, I love that we have awesome churches and like great worship services. And, you know, I mean, um, so Maryland church in Terre Haute is huge and I love it. And they have that whole like stage set up and um, worship and um, it is so great. And I'm thankful for all of that because it helps a lot of people be able to experience Jesus. But at the same time, like we try to make it so complicated and we feel like we have to have all of the answers before we can believe in something. But over there, the people were just so accepting and just so willing to share about like this awesome news, like we would share a Bible story and it would just like blow their minds because this is the first time that they're hearing it. And I'm like, wow, I've just taken all of it for granted because I can, I can open up the Bible in five different English translations on my phone right now if I wanted to. And the only time that they have access to that kind of stuff is when we would come and share it with them. And they were just so intrigued by it and just so like overwhelmed by just the amazingness of who God is that they would just ask questions and they would want to sing the same song over and over and over again. And then right away they would want to go and share it with their neighbor or their friend or their family. And um, it just, they didn't have to have all the answers. They didn't have to know everything about who God was and how the earth was made and what heaven's like and all these other questions that I feel like a lot of people have to ask before um, they can like let down their walls or anything, but they just took it as it was and just realized it doesn't have to be complicated. And that just kind of rocked my world when I came back and I was like, wow, I just need to 
slow down and just enjoy what I have and the opportunities that I have and the fact that I know who God is and that I just have such easy access to um, to learn about all of that and to share with other people and yeah I don't know a lot of things but just the whole simplicity of life yeah that I feel like we're missing here yeah especially I've, I've come to realize now I don't want to say in my advanced years but um <laughs> being you know in my 20s and like a lot of things that I uh, want to get done or if I'm stuck in traffic or it's just like everything's not the end of the world. It's uh-huh. there's a there's a lot of little annoyances, but they always feel magnified because it's like, why don't we have technology that doesn't crash or it uh-huh. like just doesn't work? I mean, I tried recording another podcast this morning and it did not like it recorded, but it the thing totally crashed and I lost the audio and I was like, oh. yeah, I know. And it's just like, oh, <laughs> now I got to redo it. And it's like, okay, it's not, it's not that deep. Like it, it mm-hmm. sucks in this moment, but if you can get some perspective and kind of look at, at it, like, am I still going to be mad about this tomorrow? No. Am I going to be mad about it next week? No. Like, am I going to still carry on what I'm doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Am I going to still find other ways to, to improve what I'm doing? I mean, that's kind of what I've done with, with the podcast is like, um, there, I don't know that many people down here and it's like, I really miss communicating to people. And I was like, you know, why not try to hear some people's stories that can help others, but kind of also help myself and get a better perspective of the world. And to me, that's like, it's so important going forward that I can, I can share these stories with people and like connect to people who I could not have connected to before. And, uh, yeah, this, those experiences, you'll cherish them for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Like what you were doing in Kenya, huge, like you're there for a blip, a small blip, Mm -hmm. but you, by you being there, you have done such great things, um, with, you working with the love of God and Jesus and spreading that message. That's, that's a powerful thing. And not too many people get the chance to, to do it or they get afraid of doing it. Mm-hmm. And you went and did it. And that's an amazing thing. Uh, so I imagine you, uh, I imagine you miss Kenya or some of the, experiences and like is there anything that you just wish you could relive because like I know when I travel abroad like I just wish I could just go and like breathe that same air again and go through those (laughs) same paces with those same people and people don't realize it's like people change like the whole environment you can be in a Mm -hmm. place that is completely amazing and everything's happening around you but if you don't have a relationship with people around you it's it's so hard yeah and i imagine you have to miss some of the people there or some of the relationships that you build oh yeah i miss those kids every day oh they were 
just they were my favorite part and that would be the first thing if I could go back I would just go back into the village just so I could um hugs aren't really a thing in their culture it's a lot of um handshakes but just so I could yeah see all of them and shake all the little kids hands and just see them all smile and being able to play games with them again oh I miss that so much (laughs) yeah see if I was you I would be making some crazy handshakes up with them just like Yo, what's up? And just like going crazy with them. I taught them how to fist bump, and they thought that was the coolest thing ever. Like it would be like the fist bump, and then you do like the the explosion. Yeah, with the explosion, and they thought like the sound <laughs> effect blown. and like the wiggling like fingers. They thought that was the coolest thing. Um, and then I kind of regretted it for a minute because then they were all coming up to me and wanting <laughs> to take oh. turns giving me fist bumps. But I was like. Oh my gosh, one at a time, one at a time. I, I only got two hands, so we can do one, <laughs> two, one, two, and just yeah. go crazy. Uh, oh, that's, that's so funny. Yeah, yeah, they loved it. I, I I love teaching kids like to do a fist bump. Like I, I taught my nephew when he was like two years old to do the fist bump and the explosion, mm-hmm. and he was the same way. He would just you fist bump it and you go, and then it'd be funny because he'd do it real slow. He'd go. He'd like bump it and then he'll like look at his own hand and go. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, kids are too funny. Okay. So yeah. So did you, did you take the same route to get back? Did you fly to Qatar and then Dallas and then Indy or straight back to Dallas? Yeah, we did the, I did the same route back. Gotcha. How was it to see, how was it seeing your family for the first time in months? um it was it was pretty sweet I came back and they were all waiting at the Indy airport so it was my parents and then my grandparents came and then my cousin um was there too and so they had like made little poster signs um and they were all standing out in like the middle of the airport right when I got off the terminal so I was excited to be back and to see them and I was at that point after traveling again I was definitely ready just to go home and go to bed but I saw them and they were all holding the signs and I was like oh my like I felt very loved in the moment but I was like oh my gosh you guys are so extra and I was like (laughs) can we just leave please I'm tired (laughs) well think about it this way some people don't have that to come back to some yeah like some would like absolutely die for, to have that, and yeah. at least you have those those people in your life that can support you and mm-hmm. and be there and to do that. But uh, it was, yeah, it was definitely very sweet, and I'm glad that they came to pick me up. <laughs> awesome, awesome, yeah. yeah, good. Well, that's that's all I, all I really have. Um, we had such a great conversation. Uh, yeah, I'd love to have you on the podcast again sometime if you want to talk about travel transportation or technology or any other vacations that you've been on or anything um i just like that's one of those like the three things i love talking about and um if you have anyone you know that you want to have uh on the podcast or you want to hear some type of story they have um feel free to send them my way i definitely will awesome well this was an awesome podcast. You can follow 
Jessica Van Lue at mm-hmm. what? Just Jessica underscore Van Lue. And that's on just on Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. What about Twitter. I don't have a Twitter. Ah, Twitter's fire. You need to get you a Twitter. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully, the, <laughs> hopefully the other Jessica didn't take you, the username. Oh, maybe I'll have to ask her. <laughs> that is so funny that you have a relationship like that with someone you've never met that has the same name. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is kind of funny, but. Awesome. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the podcast. I hope you go enjoy um, whatever you're doing, and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I told you, I told you it was an awesome podcast. I just want to thank Jessica one more time for sharing your incredible story about your trip to Kenya and the amazing things that you did there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And people, if you don't follow her, go follow her on Instagram. She has pictures from her trip in Kenya, on there. And that's Jessica underscore Van Lu. And you can follow me, your host, Eric Roberts, at the underscore Eric Roberts on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow the Full Chat Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at the Full Chat Podcast. Feel free to subscribe to this podcast. It is free, and I would surely appreciate it. It'll help me out a ton. And share the podcast, like it, leave a review, rate rate the podcast. Um, yeah, it'll help me get the word out and spread it, and I get more content coming out to all of you guys. And uh, yeah. So thanks for listening to the podcast. This is Eric Roberts, and I'll see you next time.